Greetings and welcome to The Dive, the weekly podcast in which we examine issues brought up in the previous week's Daf Yomi selection, and we take a look at them bi'yun, in depth. Um, as per request of the members of the Chavura, uh, we're taking this week, next week, and possibly a third week uh, to look into an issue that really was not directly att- addressed in the most recent Dapim, uh, it comes up later in Masachat Shabbat, it comes up earlier in Masachat Shabbat, and it comes up in some other Masachot, and that is the issue of early Shabbat. Some of this is time-bound, um, double entendre there, uh, because in this season of the year, many people typically will begin Shabbat early, and the whole issue of early Shabbat. Uh, and so I th- thought this would be a good opportunity for us to, before looking at texts, sort of explore when looking into an issue of this sort, what are the sort of things we have to ask? Uh, and so it's something we refer to as a priori questions, questions we ask before the looking into the evidence. Uh, and so you see them all listed on the page. They have uh, six list, six items on the list. What is the source of this halachic notion of extending the sanctity of a day? Meaning, is it a neutral act, which means you may do so, but there's no obligation to do so. There's no value to doing so. Is it a chovah? Is there an obligation to do so? Is there something laudatory? Is it a mitzvah, but not an obligation, but not neutral? What is the nature of it? All of these things are things that we will, to some extent, address in this year, to a larger extent in the next year, and we'll see what happens. Uh, Another question is, how do you start Shabbat early? In other words, when Shabbat starts by itself, it starts with the sun setting. A couple weeks ago, we dealt with the issue of Ben Hashmashot and what part of sunset we look at or the whole approach of Rabbeinu Tam, which is a much later sunset. Uh, but if you want to individually start Shabbat early, since it's not at a set time or astronomic event, what does that? Is it lighting candles? Is it starting Kabbalat Shabbat? Is it a particular part of Kabbalat Shabbat? Is it Baruch meaning has it something to do with Tfilah? Is it saying Kiddush? Uh, these are all things that we dealt with, and as you can anticipate in all of these questions, uh, the answers are not a matter of consensus. Um, uh, is it possible that early Shabbat is something that we, in some circumstances, don't have a choice about? In other words, let's say you're a member of a household and the head of the household starts Shabbat early, or let's say you're in a community that has only one, um, one minyan, uh, as happened in many cities in Europe, uh, and certainly is the case today in Kibbutzim. Uh, not today because of what's going on. We have local minyanim, uh, porch minyanim as they're called. Uh, but uh, as happens, let's say, in summer camps, where typically there's one big minyan, uh, does that minyan define the beginning of Shabbat for everybody else, even if they don't participate in it? Uh, which is sort of an inverse of question two. Uh, question four, which is what, what does that extension, how does that impact in other words, have we now made it nighttime? Is it now nighttime for different halachot? And uh, in question six, we'll look at some of the details of that. Um, have we made it fully into Shabbat? And there's two separate questions. One is there are certain things that we need to do at night. And then again, we're going to look at both, both of these types in question six. Uh, there are certain things that we must do at nighttime. Can we do them now if we made it nighttime? The second thing is there are certain things that we must do certain things we must avoid on Shabbat. Do all of those uh, fall upon us when we've started Shabbat early, or is it a limited Kabbalat Shabbat? We'll see again that uh, this is not a matter of consensus. Um, so five and six really detail out what question four asks. 
Uh, what's the impact of our extension vis-a-vis Shabbat? Uh, in other words, all, oblig- all prohibitions that apply on Shabbat, do they apply to somebody who started Shabbat early? Um, and that would include posi- uh, uh, prohibitions that are drabanan. Let's start with that uh, because um, the, the, the position that we've already seen in the Gemara is called any prohibition which is in the category of shvot or shvut uh, does not apply during ben hashmashot. So if we would say that rabbinic prohibitions, the full gamut of prohibitions applies when you begin Shabbat early, that means that time period is more severe than ben hashmashot if you were not to do any action. Interesting point. What if you have prohibitions that are uh, that are not dictated by law, but are dictated by local custom? Every town has its particular things that are done and are not done on Shabbat. Um, are those um, mandated now during this period? In other words, if there are things that are technically okay, what the what the Gemara refers to as dvarim hamutarim v'acherim nahagubahen isur. Things that are technically permitted, but the local custom is not to engage in them, and there's lots of examples of that in the Gemara. It's uh, it drives um, a lot of the fourth parak of Masechah Psachim. Um, then what happens when you have accepted Shabbat early? Not when the community has, but when you have personally. Are you bound by those things, or is the position that well, those are only things that would affect Machloket? Meaning, if I were to do them on Shabbat. It would be not a technical violation of Shabbat, but it would be a violation of community norms. But maybe since everybody else hasn't accepted Shabbat now at, let's say, 6.30 in the evening on Friday in the spring, uh, maybe there's no prohibition there. So we we have to look at at that as well. Um, On Shabbat, we're not allowed to ask non-Jews to do malacha for us, amira la'akum. There's exceptions to that, and there's ways to, quote-unquote, get around it, but there is a broad prohibition of amira lanochri. Uh, does that a prohibition apply during this time? How about this? You have accepted Shabbat, again, privately, meaning the community has not, and um, you have a neighbor who is a Shomer Shabbat Jew who is starting Shabbat um, only three minutes early and not an hour early. Um, and uh, can you ask them to turn on your lights, to plug in a, a crockpot, etc.? Can you ask them to do malachaf? You ask them directly uh, during that time because, after all, it's not Shabbat for them. Or, or because it is Shabbat for you, you're bound to not engage anybody else in doing Malachat Shabbat, even if for them it's not prohibited. All right, and then a, uh, a, an interesting question that does come up in, uh, in some of the Chuvot is uh, what happens if you, um, if you started Shabbat and then you realized you hadn't said Mencha? Could you say Mencha on Friday at that point? Or would we say that starting Shabbat means it's fully 100% Shabbat the day is over, you can no longer say mincha, you can't say a weekday mincha on Shabbat, uh, or do we say that that acceptance of Shabbat is somewhat limited? And that then devolves to some of these other questions which are not directly about Shabbat. Uh, for instance, we say Kriyat Shema every evening in our dive series in uh, the first uh, of the dive shiurim that we gave on, uh, on Brachot was about this issue of the time, the beginning time of Kriyat Shema at night. So the beginning of the time of Kriyat Shema at night is at nightfall. But uh, if we've made Friday night into Friday night, if we've made Friday afternoon into Friday night by starting Shabbat early, is it now nighttime for Kriyat Shema? Uh, a parallel question would be Sfirat HaOmer, uh, although perhaps of a weaker nature, according to most Rishonim, Sfirat HaOmer is the Rabbanim Bizman Azad. 
What about on Pesach? If you were to start in Minyan early, uh, start Pesach early, could you have your Seder before dark? After all, the Arba Kosot, Midra Banan, Matzah, Midda Oraita have to be eaten after dark. So these are all part of the same question, which is, have you turned day into night? Um, a related question, which, believe it or not, is actually addressed in Shulchan Aruch, is what happens if you were to start Shabbat at 6.30 um, in May? Uh, and uh, at 7 o'clock, a, uh, baby was, a baby boy was born. When would the Brit be? Would you say that the Brit would be, and you have three choices here, would you say that the Brit would be the next Friday, because the baby was born on Friday, regardless of Shabbat or not, it was on Friday day that the baby was born, would we say that the baby's brit would be on Shabbat because since the community, let's say, accepted Shabbat early, therefore this baby was considered to be born on Shabbat? Or would we say that because of a safek, the baby would have to actually have the brit on Sunday? All right, so interesting question. Uh, if a woman uh, wants to end her period of nidut and do a hefsek betahara to be able to check herself to make sure she's not bleeding. So let's say it's Friday and the community has already begun Shabbat. Uh, but there's still time, daylight time. Can she do a badika and be considered that that was still during the day, or is it too late? <clears throat> uh, what if um, a question that, that is somewhat um, moot today, but remember when in, within the strict structure of Tumava Tahara, most Tvilot going to the mikvah are during the day and require a Herav Shemesh, which means if you go to the mikvah during the day, you have to wait until the night falls before you're Tahor, um, and if you were to go to the mikvah, let's say at night, you'd have to wait for the next nightfall for tahara, uh, for Har Shemesh. What if some, what if the community started Shabbat and then somebody went to the mikvah and it was still light outside? Would we say that half an hour later, when it gets dark, or an hour later, they are tahor? Do we have to wait till the next night for Har Shemesh? Um, and another one, which also does get treatment in the chuvot and uh, and and the and the poskim, is uh, what about avelut? Uh, let's say that it is the beginning of a Chag and somebody begins the Chag early with whatever mechanism we determine can help start that, whether it's tefillah, lighting candles, kiddush, whatever it may be, but it's early. And then they find out that a close relative of theirs has died and was buried within the last 30 days. The reason I mention that is because that's what we call a Shmuah Krova, and because the relative was already buried, they are not an own and they go straight to the status of Avilut, and they have to, have to sit Shiva. So what happens if it's, let's say, uh, 20 minutes before the beginning of Shavuot, and the person began Shavuot early with whatever vehicle they did, lighting candles, saying, Arvit, uh, they're going to wait for Sphira and Kiddush till afterwards, as is the minute, but let's say that they started early, and then they got a, uh, a message Somebody in the house had not started Shabbat, uh, not started Yontif, and had gotten uh, communication that uh, this person's uh, brother had uh, died and been buried during the past uh, two weeks. Uh, would they sit down on the floor, take their shoes off for five minutes, and that would be the end of Shiva, because once you've sat for even a minimal amount of time before Yom Tov, Yom Tov cancels Shiva, or would we say that it was already Yontif, and therefore they can't start Shiva till after Yontif, and they'd have a full seven. So all these are things that we have to explore, and exploring the practical component of it, which is really what 4, 5, and 6 are, will help us determine the conceptual framework of Tosefet Shabbat and how it works. But now we'll devote the rest of this particular, this shear, to the primary sources, which are essentially uh, Chazal and the Rishonim, 
Although, of course, we have to have the background in the text, so we'll see several texts from the Torah. The entire issue of Tosefet Shabbat begins, or at least apparently begins, in the parsha of Yom Kippur, which is in Vayikra Chav Kimmel and Parshat Emor. Uh, and I, I reproduced the full parsha here, Right, so on the 10th of this 7th month is Yom Kippurim. It's a holy convocation, and you have to afflict yourselves and bring a korban. This is a critical phrase, and you can see it shows up three times in this very short parsha. You may not do any malacha on this very day, on this day itself, on the essence of this day. Any person who is not afflicted in this very day will have gakaret. And anyone who does any malacha on this very day will get karet. So karet for... Uh, inui and karate for malacha, karate for not afflicting, eating, etc., and karate for doing malacha. And the repeating, and this is the key pasuk, as you could see, with all the colors. Shabbat Shabbaton Hulachem, Verinitem et Nafshotechem. So you have to afflict yourselves. Now, the pasuk Chavzayin told us that the date of this holiday, which we all know, is the 10th. But now the Pasuk says, Chodesh Ba'erev, at the ninth of the month at night. May Erev ad Erev, from evening until evening, Tishbitu Shabbatchem, you shall have your rest. Okay? We're going to see two versions of the Midrashic treatment of this passage. Um, one of them, which is more familiar, and that's where we're starting with it, is in the last parak of Masachet Yoma, Daf uh, Peal, if you see it as source number two. When I say midrashic, what I mean is, and we've spoken about this uh, several times in, in the, uh, the last series about midrash Gada. so I mentioned midrash halacha. Here we're looking at midrash halacha, which is the um, halachic um, derivation uh, from legal texts to legal conclusions uh, via the hermeneutic rules. All right, so let's see how it works. And so the, the Gemara asks, I might think you have to start fasting on the 9th. Therefore it says in the evening. If it's supposed to be in the evening, then maybe I only start when it's dark. Therefore it says on the 9th. So which means the 9th and the evening cancel each other out because the 9th, once it becomes evening, is the 10th already. Ha-ketzad, so how do we resolve this? Matchil umit anem yom. You begin fasting during the day. Mikan shemosifin mechol al hakodesh. He said, this is the source for the idea that we add from weekday onto holy day, or we add from the mundane onto the sanctified, which means we take part of the day, which is a mundane day, and we make it holy by beginning the holiday a bit early. Now, this is specifically about Inui on Yom Kippur, about the affliction on Yom Kippur. This only applies when you start the day, because the whole point is the ninth. How do I know that this should apply at the end, which means we should wait a little bit after the day is over before stopping our affliction? 
Therefore, the Pasuk says, from evening to evening, to compare the two evenings. And here we have at least four different versions of the Gemara. They all end up saying the same thing, but in different orders and slightly different verbiages. All I know is that it applies to Yom Kippur. Yamim Tovim How do I know it applies to all holidays? Now, all holidays can't be about Inui. There's no mitzvah. To afflict yourselves, the opposite, you have to rejoice and eat and drink on holidays. So it must be referring to some other component of the holiday. How do I know that this notion of mosifin, mechol ala kodesh, applies to other holidays? Talmud Omar, tishpitu. And when you look in the green on the pasuk, it's marked in the colors don't mean anything, just to be different colors. Tishpitu, you shall rest. The idea is that all of your rests should have the same notion. <clears throat> so now I know to extend it to Yamim Tovim, Shabbatot Minayin. Now in, in this version, by the way, some of the versions, and we'll see one, uh, Shabbat comes first. And as I know to extend it to Shabbat and from there to Yom Tov. Why would we start with Yom Tov? Is because Yom Kippur is presented in the middle of the Parshat HaMuadot, the whole list of holidays. So the first place I'm going to go is to the rest of the holidays on the list. Then I'm going to extend it further. If I have an extra word to push it further, I'll push it to Shabbat. Right? So now, in this version, Shabbatot Minayin, how do I know it's Shabbatot? Or in one version, Shabbat Breshit, which is a way of saying the weekly Shabbat. Talmud Omar, Shabbat Chem, your Shabbat. HaKetzad, so what's the rule? Kol makom shenemar shvot, anywhere where the Torah commands us, shvot, Shabbaton, tishbotu, you shall cease work, mosifin, mechol HaKodesh, you have to add from chol Al-Hakodesh. In other words, here beca- this becomes the cardinal rule. Any time that there is a sanctified day that the Torah commands us to cease from Malacha, we have to begin early and take a bit of the day before, which is mundane, and turn it into a holy day and do the same thing on the backside. Now, notice that even though we could have extended, and this is going to become a big issue later on when you could look at the practical ramifications, even though... There are all sorts of angles of Yom Tov. So, for instance, there is the prohibition of Malacha. There is also the obligation to rejoice, and that may impact on the issue, for instance, of mourning that we talked about. There is also There are also particular mitzvot, like sitting in a sukkah and eating matzah, that apply on particular holidays. Um, but notice that the word that they picked up on in this midrash, they drove it from Yom Kippur to other holidays, was lishbot. Tishbetu and Shabbat Chem, and the final formula here was Kol Makom Shenemar Shavot. Anywhere the Torah says Shavot, Sis Malacha, you have an obligation to extend it backwards to the a few minutes, a little while, and we're not told how much of the day before to begin it then, and to extend it on the other side. Now, we're going to look at source three, which will sound familiar, but as you can see, is quite a bit expanded. And source three is the Sifra. So just one minute about this. The uh, Midrash Tanaim, as it's referred to, or the Midrash Halacha, is the Midrashim, the Midrashic collections that we have on parts of Sefer Shmot, on Vayikra, Bamidbar, and Dvarim, which are by and large, but not, uh, not uh, totally, uh, Halachic and Midrash Halacha. And uh, they are referred to by several names. The most significant one is the Midrash Halacha on Sefer Vayikra. It's commonly known as Torah Kohanim, but it's the Chazal referred to it as Sifra. Sifra means the book. Uh, and it, it, that's how significant it was. It was a core piece of, of the curriculum uh, in Bavel and ever since. 
And so the Sifra on our Pasuk says, So I might think that you start on the ninth, therefore it says Ba'erev. If that's the case, then I would think you start at night. Therefore, it says the ninth. Notice here, the formula is a little bit different. It's not that this is the source for Mosifin Mechol HaKodesh, but we already know that Mosifin Mechol HaKodesh, and that's the obvious solution to Betisha and Ba'erev. Okay. I only know that when you start the day of Yom Kippur, you start affliction early. How do I know to extend it late? From evening to evening. Now notice in the Sifra, the first address is Yom Kippur to Shabbat, and then it's going to go to Yom Tov. And they call Shabbat Shabbat Preshit. Shabbat Preshit is supposed to Shemitah. Talmud Lomar Tishpetu. Yomim Tov Minayin Talmud Lomar Shabbat Chem. All right, and the formula is a little bit different, but the result is the same. Hakol Shvita Shata Shovet. So this is an expansion of the formula in the Gemara. Any resting that you rest, meaning of cessation from Melacha, Hatamosifla Bein Mufanabim Nachareha. And this is. Now, in practical terms, more than was said in the Gemara, that means that you have to cease doing melacha before Shabbat and Yom Tov start, and you have to extend your cessation of melacha or your abstention from melacha when it's over a little bit. It doesn't say how much, just you have to add on to it. Now, by the way, this would already answer uh, question one, and it would be in the affirmative that this is a chovah. This seems to be an obligation uh, to extend it. All right, let's continue t- uh, taking a look now. Now, there's going to be a limitation, which is critical here. Yachol, now, when one of the questions that we asked was, and the kind of what, what kind of coursed through a lot of the questions was, what's the nature of this time? Let's say, for instance, that sunset is 745, and let's say you start Shabbat at 645. What is the nature of the time between 6.45 and 7.45? Is it fully Shabbat? Is it Shabbat only for certain things? Is it only Shabbat for prohibitions, but not liabilities, not, uh, not uh, for, um, for chiyuvim, as it were, if you violate it? What's the nature of it? So let's take a look. Um, I might think you'd be chayav karet if you violated during this extra time. And that's why I highlighted that phrase in the Pasuk. Anyone who does Malacha during this essential day, I will cut off. The punishment of Karet is only for violating the essential day and not for the extended. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that the extended day is not really Yom Kippur? Are we play-acting? What is it? Or is it that it's Yom Kippur minus, sort of like the way that we treat chametz midoraita during the afternoon of the 14th. The afternoon of the 14th of Nisan, chametz is asur, but the asur is alav, and karet only kicks in at night. So it might be the same thing, that there's just a, a gradation here, and it's less of a serious thing. Okay. So I might think that this only applies to melacha, which means that melacha, if you did melacha during the Tosefa time, you wouldn't be chayav, but maybe if you ate during that Tosefa time, you would be. 
Karet is according to the person who doesn't afflict themselves. Be'etzam hayom hazeh. Again, al'etzam hayom hazeh, ha'evim karet, ve'en ha'evim karet, there's no chiyuv karet for the extended time. Yachol li'yeh b'chalal onesh. Okay, so there's no punishment. V'yeh b'chalal azara, but maybe there's a lo ta'aseh, which by the way would mean you'd get makot. Tamud lo ma'akom alacha lo ta'asu be'etzam hayom hazeh. So now, besides the punishment, which we had in uh, Pasuk, Chavtet uh, and Lamed, in Chavchet, there's the prohibition, which is the, the starting off with thou shalt not. And, um, and, um, it also uses which means we've the first few paragraphs of this midrash pushed us in a very strong direction, just as the Gemara did. Tosefet every Shabbat, every Yom Tov, before and afterwards, and now it's stepping back and saying we're well, not chayav karet for doing it, and there's not even a prohibition for doing it. So what's the nature of it? Right. So perhaps the lotase. Uh, only applies to uh, limitation to uh, to the to the essential day. Only applies to malachat. But maybe you are obligated on inu. No notice, by the way, and this will become important for looking at the Rambam, which we'll get to later in the shiur. That the starting place and they keep coming back to is inu. Is the is the affliction on Yom Kippur? That's the starting place for Tosefet. He said vidinhu, and now we're going to use a, re, a, a logical argument. Ma malachashi no tovim shabbatot so Melacha, which uh, applies to all Shabbatot and Yom Tovim, um, and you are not, um, but and you are not bound by it during the extra time. So Inui, which only applies to Yom Kippur, So certainly you would not be liable, meaning there wouldn't be even be a lotase of al azharali Inui shamanu. But the interesting thing is in the text, there's no point where it says you shall not eat. It just says anybody who does eat uh, shall uh, shall get karate. However, but now what we do is we figure as follows. Since the Torah said there's a punishment for karate. If Inui or carries with it karate, even though it only applies on Yom Kippur, you eat on Yom Kippur, it's karate. So malacha, which applies to all those days, certainly you'd be punished. So why does the Torah go out and say you get punished for malacha? So we're going to flip it back and say that's alluding to the prohibition of eating. Just like malacha, instead of malacha and inui become a pair. Just like Malacha, it both tells you not to do it and then gives you the punishment for it. Similarly, with, uh, with Inui, it told you the punishment is, so assume the prohibition. Okay, the last part of that is really not germane to us, but it's an interesting piece. So this is really source one. And even though it's three sources, but source one, which is the Parsha in Vayikra and the treatment of it in two rabbinic texts, which comes up with an obligation to create holy time just before and just after every day of Shvot. No indication of how long that is, no indication of how you do it, because just not eating or not doing malacha doesn't show anything. 
but is it just by ces- cessation or is there something affirmative you have to do to do that? And what's clear here, though, is that the nature of that time is less intense than the real day itself, uh, as seen by both the lack of punishment and even the lack of azharat. Okay, that's source one. Source two is, we're going to see a lot less of this than is actually on the page, um, but is a uh, is in the fourth parak of Brachot in the discussion of the time of Arvit. So a story, Rav Ikla Levei Gneva. Rav was in Bavel, he came to the house of Gneva, was a Chacham, but Sali Shel Shabbat Be'er of Shabbat. He prayed Friday night tefillah on Friday afternoon. Who we thought was a student of Rav was praying right in back of him, and the Gemara goes into a discussion about whether it's appropriate to pray in back of your Rebbe, right? So Shmamina, the Gemara then says you can infer three things from this: the one that we're concerned, the two that we're concerned with are you could pray Friday night tefillah on Friday afternoon. I didn't say when in the afternoon. And a student can pray in back of his teacher. Right? And then, the, and the reason I brought this in is because it's actually germane to our issue. Shani Rabbi Yirmiyah the Talmud Chaver you can't prove anything from here because you remember Abba was not really a student of Rav. He was a collegial student, meaning he was a younger colleague, Talmud Chaver. And how do we know he was a Talmud Chaver? What did Rabbi Yirmiyah turned to Rav and asked him, ask him after he said Friday night tefillah early? He said, Mi badalt. Are you now avoiding malacha? Amarle in badilna, and Rav said, "Yes, I am avoiding malacha." In other words, the fact that Miriam Ba'aba phrased it this way and said, "Are you avoiding work?" as opposed to, "Is the master avoiding work?" proves that they were colleagues. That's why he's praying in back of him. Doesn't tell us anything. But the critical piece is that Rav's answer is important. Rav said, "Now that I've said arvit on Friday late afternoon, but it's still astronomically Friday." I now cease doing malacha. Umibadil, wait a second. Now let's look at that issue. Do you really avoid doing malacha when you've said arvit early? He tells the story that Rebbe, Rabbi Yudanasi, one time prayed Friday, at late afternoon, prayed Friday night davening. And then afterwards, and this is the point of the story is to tell you how early it was. Then afterwards, he went into the bathhouse, Vyatsav Shanalan Pirkin, and came out, went in, got undressed, came out, toweled off, got dressed, and taught us our chapter. Vadain Lo it wasn't even dark yet. Now, the point of this was to tell you how early he prayed, but the other message here is that after he prayed, he then went into the bathhouse, which is a violation of the Gzerat Merchatz, which we learned about in the third parak of Shabbat. So Amarava, who is Zia? He said, well, you have to remember that there's a series of decrees. One is because not to go into the bathhouse itself because the uh, bathhouse attendants said they were heating the water up on Friday, they're really heating it up on Shabbat, but you were still allowed to go in just to sweat, into the sweat part. And then they made a gzera not to go in at all. So the answer here is, Ahu Zia. Rebbe went in just to sweat. It was before the decree, which means, by the way, and this gives us a little glimmer into one of the questions we asked back in on the first page, is that they they have to posit that this is before the decree was made, which would mean that ha, that had the decree already existed, a decree that's dirabanan, Rebbe would have had to avoid going in even to sweat at that point because once you accept Shabbat, you're bound by all the laws, even the gzerot. Okay. 
Now, Amrichia Bar Avin, Rav Tzali of Shabbat, so that's the story we heard, Rabbi Yoshia, who is roughly a contemporary of Rav in Eretz Yisrael, Matzli Shomot Sa'e Shabbat B'Shabbat. He once said, or would regularly say, Saturday night tefillah when it was still Shabbat. Rav Tzali Shoshabat B'Shabbat, fine. Omer Kudushal HaKos, or Omer Kudushal HaKos. Could you say Kiddush on the coast of wine at that point, before it's dark? So Shmuel said, Nachman quoted Shmuel as saying, you could pray Friday night tefillah on Friday and say Kiddush, and that is the halacha. Right? And by the way, the parallel thing with Havdalah in the next paragraph. Um, then just a cute little thing to end this particular sugya, only because... Um, We'll see how it plays out. So this goes back to Rav. was a colleague of Rabbi. Rav was a young student, so Rav testified that at that at that uh, pillar, right next to that pillar, Shmuel Rabbi Yossi prayed Shal Shabbat Be'er Shabbat. Now this goes along with the story that Rabbi himself did this, and Rabbi's colleague did the same thing. All right, so this is Ki'ata um, Ula. Uh, so this is Rabbi Zera, who evidently came back to visit Bavel and brought this report from the lower of Eretz Yisrael. Ki'ata Ula, when Ula came, Amar, B'tzad Tmorahave. First of all, it wasn't a pillar, it was a palm tree. V'lo B'tzad Amurahave. V'lo B'tzad Rabbi Yossi, Aviyalo, Rabbi Rabbi Yossi. It was the wrong son of Rabbi Yossi. It wasn't Rabbi Shmuel, it was Rabbi Lozor, Rabbi Yossi. It wasn't Friday night davening on Friday, it was Motzei Shabbat. Okay, that just a, kind of a cute little thing there. So now, the second source that we have is Rav saying tefillah on Friday afternoon, then hearing that Rebbe did the same thing, and finding out that the impact of that, first of all, is it permitted, it is permitted, that you can say Kiddush afterwards, and you now must avoid Malachat. Notice that there is no value say, a statement given to this. It's not said that Rav was great for doing this or that it was a wonderful thing or there was an obligation. And it's noted here as sort of unique behavior as if to say, this isn't what everybody does, but Rav did it. And the story that kind of sticks out. We have the story about either Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi or Rabbi, Rabbi Yossi, which for generations they were disputing which one it was and which, which filah it was and where it was, a, a palm tree or a pillar. So it seems that it was not the norm, uh, and they're not attaching it to any obligation that we have, such as we saw in Yoma. So the second source does not necessarily comport with the first source. We have to see whether, how to broaden the picture. We have a third source, <clears throat> which also seems to paint the whole idea of starting Shabbat early, possibly of starting Shabbat early and ending Shabbat late, when I say early and late, I mean starting Shabbat before sunset and ending Shabbat after nightfall um, as something which is we would call supererogatory, extra pious behavior, but not an obligation. Uh, in a series of statements uh, where Rabbi Yossi says, Yehei I would like to have my portion be with those who do this great thing. And he's pointing to all sorts of great things that people do, and he says, I would, would like to be included in that. So he's valuing this behavior, which is clearly not mandated. He says, Now, you've been there. Tveria is right on the lake, and it's low. And Tzipori is not that far away, and it's up in the hills. 
right? Rabbi Yossi says, I'd like my portion to be with those people who begin Shabbat in Tveria and end it in Tzipori. Now, Rashi on the spot explains, Mnei Amuka, Tveria is low. It gets dark when it's still daytime. People think it's dark. It sounds like they're actually mistaken, but they start Shabbat. And Sipori is up in the hills. While the sun is setting, it's very light there. Which means because of the topography and the altitude in, uh, and, and the physical environment, in Tveria, they begin Shabbat early, and in Sipori, they end Shabbat late. And Rabbi Yossi says, I would like to have my be with people who are of that sort. And that's the way Rashi and several others explain it that way. However, not everybody explains this statement in this fashion. Um, and there's several other, and this is just as an aside, but just an interest, a curiosity about how this statement is explained. The, the way that Rashi's reading it, this paints... Uh, starting Shabbat early and ending Shabbat late as uh, pious behavior, as valued behavior, but not at all as obligatory behavior, and not seemingly the norm. Okay, so now the Rimi Gash, Rabbi Yosef Gash, from, uh, who was uh, a student of the Rif and evidently the teacher of Rabbi Maimon, the Rambam's father, um, has the following to say in a Chuvat. And here he was asked uh, a question that had nothing to do with Shabbat. He had to do with an issue of, uh, of marital fidelity, not fidelity in the sense of, um, in, of, of uh, relations, but in uh, how much the woman has to follow her husband to a certain place. And he was talking about distances in Israel. That was the context. And so therefore he says, with the Kashoyal, in the Tshuva, in the, in the question, they asked, Mar, How far is it from Tveria to Tsipori? Now, to us, very easy. Go to Google Maps and find out in five minutes, less than five minutes. Uh, but uh, for the Rimigash in in uh, Spain uh, in the 11th century, not so simple. So here, watch how he says. Mistamberlan, it seems, it seems they're pretty close. Why? He says it must be that Tveria and Tsipori are within Tchum Shabbat of each other, which means there isn't 2,000 amot of distance between them um, from edge of the town to the edge of the town. That's pretty close. Teidan, what's his proof? He has Rabbiana instead of Rabbiosi. So he says, If you agree that they're near each other, then I can understand how somebody could start Shabbat in Tveria and end it in Zipori. In other words, he reads that statement of, of, of Rabiosi, he reads it as Rabianai, as being about a single person who says, I would like to be among those people who start Shabbat in Tveria and end it in Zipori. Uh, if you think they're far away, how could somebody be in both towns on the same Shabbat? He anticipates our question. It's not talking about one person. Meaning, there are some people in Tveria who start Shabbat in, and there's people in, in, in Tzipori who end Shabbat at that point, and that's, I'd like to be like part of this, part of that. What's the big deal about that? He said, think about it. If in Tveria, 
they start Shabbat early. Well, they also, the point is that they end it early. Not earlier than needed, but not any later than needed. And in Sipori, if they start late, well, they probably, in the end late, they probably start late also, which means if it's two different people, they're, what they gain on one side, they lose on the other side. It's only the people who start in, in Tveria and end in Sipori who really get it, the proper treatment, both the beginning and the end. It's talking about one person. He says, we can prove from that that they were close and within Tchum. Interesting point, but his take was that this entire story has nothing to do with, um, with Tosefet Shabbat, as it were, but rather about uh, the fact that there were some people who would start in Tveri and end up in Sipori, and because of the way that the light worked, they ended up having more than 25 hours, shall we say, of Shabbat uh, in that case. Um, the Me'iri goes back to our original take, to Rashi's take. Um, sorry, um, the Talmud Rabbeinu Yonah, I want to keep this in chronological order, Talmud Rabbeinu Yonah, Rabbeinu Yonah of Garoni, who was a, uh, who was a cousin of the Ramban and a student of the, and uh, colleague of the Ramban in, uh, in, in Spain in the 13th century, um, it, his students wrote a commentary based on his teachings that was incorporated uh, as the uh, printed commentary on the riff in Brachot. So it's known as Talmud Rabbeinu So yeah, he has a whole different take. He, he says, They would launder their clothes, and when they laundered their clothes, they used foul-smelling lye. So then they would put really good sense. They would burn incense under the clothes, and the clothes would take on this beautiful smell. They would do on an Erev Shabbat, Menechvot Shabbat. So there should be a nice smell. They would do it on Saturday night. Why? It has nothing to do with altitude. They would do it for Kvot Shabbat. Why? Basically, they did the same thing. They said they feel bad that their Neshama Yitera is leaving and they wanted to restore it, so they would do that by putting these beautiful smells out Saturday night. So, so Yossi was saying, oh, I'd like to be included with the people who honor Shabbat so beautifully at the beginning and who show their sadness of Shabbat leaving at the end, both of them with these beautiful smells. A very different take. The Meiri, um, 13th century, late 13th century of Provence, uh, goes back to where Rashi was. So the person should direct his household to start Shabbat early and to extend it late. And then in a sort of a whimsical way they said, and as he quotes our statement as being sort of a cute way of saying that idea. Since Tveria was in a valley, it's on, the, it's on the lake. Therefore, it would seem dark early. And Zippori is the opposite in the mountains. Okay, so again, we have a statement that may speak to uh, Tosefet Shabbat, then again may not speak to Tosefet Shabbat, and may speak to the distance between the two, as the Rimigash says. It may speak to different customs that they had in the towns, as Rabbi Yonah suggests, or at least it's a possibility. Uh, so we really aren't on firm ground here. And uh, the last two sources we're going to look at in the Gemara, um, the first one, which is source 10, is a discussion that takes place at the beginning of Arve Psachim about Kiddush and Havdalah. And the Gemara notes the distinction that when it comes to Kiddush, 
will always make it as the first part of any series of brachot, whereas Havdalah comes at the end. That's a, a very simple way of saying a much more intricate discussion, but it's not our issue. And the Gemara answers this Shanilan Yoma. We distinguish between entering the day and leaving the day. What's that? To start the day of Shabbat, the earlier we do it, the better it is, and the more we love it. Now, this is clearly indicating mitzvah, meaning there's a value, there's a positive value to starting Shabbat early, but it doesn't seem to be obligatory here. Apuke yoma, on the day when day ends, we want to delay it, so it shouldn't seem like a burden on us. Okay, and in a related statement uh, that uh, the in, in the middle of my, of Perak uh, Pamemalikin, we hear that there's a mitzvah to pray for Shabbat. My mitzvah, the Rav Yudah Marav Kachem in Hagosh of Yudah Rabbi Lai, Rav Yudah of the Mishnah, would do the following every Friday. Erev Shabbat, Mavim Lo Arivam Maleach Chamin Vrochetz Panav Yadav Raglav. So on Erev Shabbat, they bring him a, a a pail full of hot water, and he'd wash his hands, his face, his legs. Uh, he would put on his talit. It would look like a malach. In other words, he's getting ready for Shabbat, but the idea is anticipating and sort of starting it early. And this is seen, again, as laudatory behavior, but not seen as, as obligatory behavior. So in looking at all of these sources together, before we get into the Rishonim, we see the possibility that <clears throat> this is a perfectly neutral thing to do. And we see that from the story of Rav. Rav sang tefillah on Shabbat. And the question is, does he have to avoid malacha? The answer is yes. But nobody praises Rav for this. Nobody praises Rebbe for doing it. Uh, that's one piece of the puzzle. Then we see it as being laudatory. We saw that in the statement in one of in, in one interpretive direction, uh, taken by Rashi and the, and, the, and the Meiri and others, in understanding the statement that I'd like to be among those who accept Shabbat in Tveria is that it's ideal, it's better to start Shabbat early and to end it late. We saw the same thing with this Gemara that we just saw in Psachim and in Shabbat about the behavior. And then, of course, the first source that we saw made it clear that this is an obligation. Now, it, it, it's fairly straightforward to, uh, it's, there is a simple way to reconcile obligation versus mitzvah or obligation versus neutral, and that is to say it depends what kind of time we're talking about. Maybe there's an obligation to devote one minute or two minutes or three minutes, some very minimal time before Shabbat starts astronomically to make it Shabbat. And maybe the more you do of that is either neutral or is ideal, is nice, but is not obligatory. That's one way we can answer it. But we'll see that there may be other things to do. Okay, I want to start at the beginning because when we talk about Sifrei Psak. We really start, although there are earlier books in the, of the Goni, we really start with the riff from Yitzhak Alfasi, 11th century uh, into the 12th century. Yitzhak Alfasi, uh, who lived in Morocco and then moved to Spain, uh, and the most uh, famous book that he composed was a book called Halachot, which is really an attempt to abridge the Talmud Bavli and to present it as a halachic guide. So in the riff, uh, which, by the way, the riff only commented on practical halacha, and therefore, for instance, in Masachet Yoma, there are a few notes here and there, but it's mainly on the eighth parak because the first seven parakim are about Yom Kippur in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, so the riff here in the eighth parak of Yoma 
says the following, This is really review for us. And use the language of the Sifra. And then he goes on to the next piece, which is that I I might have thought that I'd be liable for punishment for uh, for violating during the Tosefa time. The answer is not. Okay. Very good. And then we have a little surprise. We open up the Rambam, and we see that the Rambam in Hichot Shvitat Asor, which is the laws of resting on Yom Kippur, essentially, but all the laws of Yom Kippur, uh, not the Beit HaMikdash part. Keshem sheshvut melacha bo bein bayom uvein balayla, kach shvut leinui bein bayom uvein balayla. Just like there is a cessation from melacha, there's also a notion of shvut affecting affliction day and night. And then he says, v'tzarich lohosif mechol al hakodesh bichnisato uvitziato. You have to add on at the beginning and at the end. Shinemar v'init, and what, notice the pasuk he quotes. He only quotes the pasuk about inui. You have to start fasting and afflicting yourself from the ninth in the evening before it becomes the tenth. And also, at the end, you have to wait a little bit in your affliction uh, into the night of the eleventh, connected to the tenth. He doesn't even say anything here about Malacha on Yom Kippur. And the Rambam, by the way, does not mention this at all in the context of other holidays. Um, parenthetically, the Rambam does say in Hilchot Shabbat, Shabbat A person may say Kiddush on Erev Shabbat, even though it hasn't yet become Shabbat, which means this is now presented as a neutral possibility to start Shabbat early, and he has it with Kiddush. Okay, in Hilchot Filah, he does also say that a person could say Arvit early. All right, now, if you turn the page, and this is the last two sources we'll look at in this shiur, um, is I'm jumping a little bit because I want to go to the Magin Mishnah, uh, who we've already seen, one of the critical Nosei uh, Kilim on the Rambam. And he says, Source 15, that adding on to Yom Kippur is not the Oraita, except for in affliction. Meaning there's no mitzvah from the Torah to extend the Yisra Malacha before Yom Kippur starts or afterwards. Or Shabbat or Yom Tov. That's why the Rambam said that you start afflicting yourself, but he never said anything about Malacha. He never said anything in Hechot Shabbat about it. We saw in Hechot Shabbat that you have the possibility to start Shabbat early, but no obligation. He says that it seems that this is a machloket tanaim. Remember, we saw that statement that I might think that you are prohibited. There's an actual prohibition of doing malacha during that extra time. Therefore, it says. So he says that it was used in two different ways. 
ימים טובים מנין, תמוד אומרת שיש ביטוי שבתו מנין תמוד שבתכם. אבל אמרתי שכל מקום שמשוות מוסיף לכל הקודש. He says that the essential bright that we saw at the very beginning of the shiur, almost an hour ago, when he went through all of the different pieces, starting from Yom Kippur, and then Malacha, and then Shabbat, and then Yom Tov, or Yom Tov, and then Shabbat, were one brighta, and a separate brighta about Inui. And by the way, this whole idea of the ninth has another very famous drasha, which we all know, which is, how do I know that you're obligated to eat on the ninth? Because it says that you fast on the ninth. So we don't fast on the ninth, we fast on the tenth. Oh, that teaches you that if you eat on the ninth and fast on the tenth, it's as if you fasted on both. Right? So therefore... Um, so he says the Rambam evidently accepted that. And so he says, therefore, the whole drasha that we started this thing with, the Rambam says, that's not lahalacha. Lahalacha, instead we use the piece that says you're obligated to uh, eat on the ninth, and that's considered as if you eat on the tenth. The only thing for which there's tosefet is inuit. So, but the riff disagrees. And he said the riff combined the two brightot as if they're one. So evidently he identified that this is actually Machlok of Rabbi and Bishmael. And that uh, Rambam ruled like Rabbi Akiva. Right? I did this mainly because he sums up what we've seen uh, and puts it and puts the Rambam into kind of a, a clear light. The Rambam alone among the Rishonim, at least among the well-known Rishonim, uh, maintains that there is only a mitzvah of Tosefet Inui on Yom Kippur. No Tosefet Malachan Yom Kippur, no Tosefet on any other day, meaning there's no obligation. However, all the other Rishonim, and that's why we're going to look at the Rosh now to end the Shi'ur, disagree. And the Rosh just says, Tan Rabbanan, v'initemet nafshotechem, v'tisha l'achodesh, yachol v'tisha t'amunomar ba'erev, etc., etc., mikan sh'mosifin mikhol v'nachol l'achodesh. And then the other piece that's, uh, that's highlighted, any time you have a day of cessation of malacha, you start it a little early and you end it a little late. And the last thing to show you is um, demonstrating that, that this din is da'oraita, right? Because he proves it from a, a Gemara that shows up in Beitzah and in Shabbat, and, and later on in Shabbat, which is Tosefet Yom Kippurim da'oraitahu, uh, and that's in the discussion about Tochacha because said is that they, they asked a particular question. They said, was it still right to the Rabbanan? They said, what's the difference? They said, the difference is, should we be mochiach people who violate it? They said, what's the difference? If people won't listen, you don't know mochiach them even about things that are doraita. And the proof was that our wives eat right up until the last minute of Yom Kippur and nobody says anything implying that Tosefet Yom Kippur is doraita since all this is doraita. Now that, of course, leaves us with some very strong questions, which is, if it's Doraita, why is it that the punishments don't exist during that time? How does that impact on the status of the time? Is it Doraita only for certain things, for Malacha, maybe not for other things? What will happen again in one of the more interesting twists of this? If uh, somebody begins uh, Yom Tov early, and then after that, but before sunset, they find out that a relative died, do they sit Shiva for a minute 
and they're done, or do they have to wait till after Yom Tov, etc. So we're going to see all of that. We'll address, at least begin addressing that next week, Yemir Tzashem. Uh, but for right now, we'll uh, we'll pause here, and Yemir uh, Tzashem again soon. We will have a chance to study together as a Chabura live, but in the meantime, we will utilize this wonderful technology to continue learning together. Chizku v'imtsu.